0: It's time for another Smack Talk live tonight. We're invoking the Freebird rules. That's right, Tony Colombo tapping out on this match. I'm calling in a special friend, all the way from Detroit, John Macaroon. What's going on, Johnny?
1: Dennis, thank you so much for the chance to talk wrestling. Uh, when you messaged, when you reached out and said, "Hey, are you a big wrestling guy?" And I was like, "Of course." And you would ask me, hey, if you got the WWE Network? And I'm like, of course, Dennis, I do. For nine ninety nine, who <laughs> on earth wouldn't watch wrestling? And I'm so happy to be here. Love talking wrestling and especially reconnecting with an old friend.
0: All right, John. So I gave you the pick tonight, by the way. Uh, we're not doing an episode that attends. We're not doing a Raw or a SmackDown review. No, we're going classic review. John, you picked WrestleMania 10 and why?
1: You know what? When people look to past wrestling events, you know, WrestleMania 10 is one of those events that you look to because it has two matches on the card that people to this day will say are two of the all time great matches. And it, it was the 10th anniversary of WrestleMania brought back to New York. And it was, you know, an interesting event in that it was the first. WrestleMania that didn't have Hulk Hogan who at that time had jumped ship to WCW so it was a great event and one that I look forward to seeing how you felt but anytime you could put on the ladder match between Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon you gotta watch it so it it, WrestleMania 10 is one of the one of the all-time great WrestleManias I think it ranks up there
0: it, by the way, as you said, Hulk Hogan. It was also Macho Man Randy Savage's last televised match for WWE.
1: Exactly. He was featured on eight of the first ten WrestleManias, and that was his uh, his last matchup there. In Re- at WrestleMania ten was his last WrestleMania that he ever appeared on. And uh, one of those things where, at the time, you know, you remember in the mid nineties, WWF at the time was kind of going through a transition where. They didn't have too many top of the line stars. And you could tell, kind of in this, you know, WrestleMania, you had a couple great matches. And if you look at the mid card, they were kind of duds. And it's one of those things where at that time they were fledgling a little bit, looking for new stars with WCW on the horizon.
0: You know, let's set this up a little bit, because the main event, the first match plays into the main event, the main event. And this was kind of one of those weird years where before The Rock and the Big Show did it, you had Lex Luger, who was, in, you know, WWF at that time. And at the Royal Rumble, alongside Brett the Hitman and Hart, they both disqualified each other at the same time. And instead of a triple threat match or instead of fighting it out, they flipped a coin and I still remember watching this thinking, why don't they fight this out? I, I understand they were they were two faces at the time and it was kind of and I don't want to say the words uncharted territory to have two good guys face each other in a fight. But you know, they flip a coin and the way it worked was if you won the coin flip, you got to the face then champion Yokozuma in the first the first match. But if you lost, you had to face you had a uh, a match didn't really have any bearing on whether you know you moved on or didn't move on. While well, the coin flip was done, uh, Lex won it, so he would face Yoku, Yokozuna. Uh, Bret Hart lost, so he would face Owen Hart in the very first match of the night. Which, by the way, I still think that was one of my favorite favorite matches I remember watching.
1: You know what, Dennis? A lot of people to this day will say that to open a pay per view that match was one of the all-time greats. And the reason why I liked that match so much was they gave them about 20 solid minutes to do their thing. And what Bret Hart and Owen Hart were able to do in that time frame was put on a display of scientific wrestling. And they were able to put on a match that didn't feature a lot of high spots, but featured some solid technical wrestling that, featured something that I think a lot of wrestlers to this day really need to improve upon is the psychology of wrestling. They told a story throughout their match, and it culminated in Owen Hart winning the match. But you really thought to yourself when you were watching that, even though it didn't feature so many high spots, but even though they were doing arm bars and leg locks and moves like that, they were telling a story in that match, and it gravitated everybody Mm -hmm. because those two guys, the caliber of wrestling that they put on really allowed for the fans to get into the match. And I don't know how you – I was watching that last night and going, my goodness, man, Owen Hart, Bret Hart, to kick off a WrestleMania, how do you top that?
0: It, You know, it was – I kind of equate it if you go back to several WrestleManias ago where Seth Rollins lost the opening bout to uh, – was it uh, Randy Orton? with the R- RKO from the curb stomp, I guess they were in, what was it, San Francisco when that happened, and then he went into cash and the money in the bank to win the championship. It was kind of along those lines where, you know, I didn't expect Bret Hart to lose this match. You know, here he is, you know, a co-winner of the Royal Rumble, has a chance at the the championship that night. I just, when, when he lost, and I wish there could have been more of a consequence Cause it just seemed like, all right, I lost. I, I, I'll move on and you know wrestle again tonight. It, you know, did, look, there were triple threat matches back in the day. I just didn't understand why this was the setup. It was a kind of a head scratcher to me.
1: You know what, Dennis? I think if you look back at it, they were really trying to tell the story of um, Owen Hart versus Bret Hart. You know, you had these two brothers, and you had at the time Owen Hart was a guy that was kind of fledgling in the mid-card and trying to break out from the shadow of his brother, Brett. So what happened was prior to, you know, the Survivor Series, prior to WrestleMania, you know, they started to kind of plant the seeds of a feud. And so what they did, I think, with this matchup was allow Owen Hart to feature his skills and to go over on Brett. And I think the purpose of that match was to really elevate Owen Hart because if you watch that match closely, you really get a sense of what a heel can do in a wrestling match. You know, If you look at the match, you had Owen Hart putting the figure four on his brother slapping him. You had him kind of playing up to the crowd, really exhibiting what a heel can do in a match. And so this match is a match where Owen kind of got to elevate himself. And if you look after that match, a lot of people gained respect for Owen Hart and he was featured in more you know more feuds and he was able to elevate himself so if you look at it it was a situation where Bret Hart put his brother over and Owen Hart at the time was ready, willing, and able and what a match WrestleMania 10 at Madison Square Garden
0: Yeah, you, there were some vicious moves in there they brought it to each other in that match and there was some highs and now we go to a lows of the lows uh, the the mixed tag team match with Bam Bam Bigelow and Doink the Clown, I don't really know how much time we really need to spend on this one because this was, uh, 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 you know, Doink the Clown, I was glad when that ended, and I was shocked at how long that went on for that gimmick. It was, It was a very painful gimmick to watch growing up, especially in transitioning from more character-based wrestling to, you know, the Shawn Michaels and, you know, I guess you could throw Diesel in there, but as he slip, slipped away from the Diesel uh, character, they, they went from less character-based to people-based wrestling, and but yet somehow Doink was still around. It was – uh gosh.
1: Yeah, you know, Dennis, the funny part is I was watching that. I was thinking to myself, you know what? They probably would have done better if they just had it be Bam Bam Bigelow versus Doink the addition of Dink and Luna Bashan kind of made you left you kind of with your head scratch going, why are these two in here? Because Bam Bam and Doink could have put on a solid match, but once Luna and, and Dink got into it, it just kind of, you know, all you had you were left with was Dink running around and Luna was kind of wondering what to do. And it just didn't seem like it was a, a solid thing to do to put them in the matchup. Luckily it only went like, you know, five, six minutes and they ended it with uh um, I believe was it Bam Bam and Bam Bam Bigelow
0: winning the match. It doesn't matter. It did. It doesn't. It was. It was just one of those things where you go from such a glowing opening match to this at a WrestleMania too. By the way, you you go. Does this really make the WrestleMania? I, I I couldn't
1: believe it. No, exactly. You and I are thinking along the same lines. When you look at it, uh, the matches prior to probably maybe Yokozuna and Lex Luger would probably be characterized as matches in this day would go on a pre show. I mean, you look at it and you go, my goodness, you have a Lunder blaze and Leilani K going for about three minutes. You have men on a mission in a WrestleMania. You think when you go through the, you know, go through the mid card of this WrestleMania, you go, these people shouldn't be nowhere near a caliber of a pay-per-view. But like I said, they were kind of, at that time, kind of fledgling between the major stars and the mid guys. And that's just why you would feature Bret Hart a couple times, because the, the wrestlers featured in the mid were awful, to say the least.
0: Uh, they shouldn't have even had tickets to the show, much less been in it. Let's move on to the next match, which was, uh, you know, uh, another one of those matches that didn't have a lot of hype or build-up to it, but it was... It, I guess if you scratch the surface, it was a very good match. It was the Macho Man Randy Savage versus Crush with Mr. Fuji. And it was a slightly weird take on the Falls Count Anywhere match where after you pinned your opponent, he had, what, to, to 60 seconds or 10 count or something like that to get back into the ring and to keep the match going. But if he couldn't make it back in the ring, it, it meant a loss. And this match was it was very interesting, to say the least.
1: No, I enjoyed the matchup, you know, kind of knowing that Macho Man was kind of at that point in time, you know, in negotiations with uh, Vince McMahon, and it just kind of didn't work out. And eventually he ended up at WCW. But I always liked Randy Savage matches. I can maybe count on one hand the matches where you'd say he just wasn't with it. He he could make guys because of his performance, because of his style. He was just a guy that, you know, was one of those guys where – from the entrance to the performance in the ring, was just a guy when his matches were on, you'd want to see. And uh, there was a lasting image. And then if you paid attention, the ending was a little bit botched in that he pins Crush, and then he tries to kind of – he goes to the backstage, and he kind of tries to tie up Crush (laughs) by his legs. And all of a sudden, I guess the the rope snapped or whatever, and Crush just kind of comes falling. And just kind of lays there and uh, Macho Man wins the match. But if you also pay attention, there was a kind of funny scene that got me laughing was they end up going, you know, to the back. And all of a sudden you just see this random guy just stand there like uh, there's a wrestling match going on. He doesn't react. He doesn't have any emotion. If you just look to when Macho Man and Crush go through the back curtain there, there's just this random dude just standing there. (laughs) and, And they're wrestling. They're like doing moves, like hitting each other. And he's kind of just looking there like, all right. And uh, he doesn't move. looks like he doesn't blink. And uh, I just kind of found it funny that, uh, you know, you had a a worker back there and he didn't get involved or anything like that. But, you know, I would say I'd rate that match maybe two, two and a half stars out of five.
0: You know, I think we're along the same lines. Uh, My heart tells me to rank it higher, but my head says, come on. Uh, You know, part of me says it's WrestleMania, Macho Man. Give it a... Give it a four out of five just for all time six. But I I just can't do it. But, you know, I wouldn't be mad if someone else did. Uh, But it was it was a entertaining match. A lot of interesting moves, the tying up thing. I think if he pulled the tie up thing off, you could have ranked it a little bit higher.
1: No, exactly. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where that is um, Randy Macho Man Savage's last WrestleMania match was WrestleMania 10.
0: Uh, You know, from there we move on to a little IRS and Bill Clinton hijinks and then some FanFest stuff, nothing much to talk about. Now, you you talked about this at the beginning when you were talking about uh, Miss Blaze, who I still like to refer to her from her WCW name as Medusa. Uh, I'll let you set this women's championship matchup.
1: Yeah, at the time, you know, Alundra Blaze was a solid women's wrestler, And she had, you know, become up to the level where they made her champion. And they put her in a match against Leilani Kai. And I kind of, when I was watching the match, I was like, okay, they have a solid star here in Lunder Blaze. But the match only went about three minutes long. And I looked at it and I go, my goodness, even to this day, they are still trying to find ways to utilize women wrestlers in a much longer fashion. What do we look at now? Um, At this point in time, WWE has changed from being divas into women's superstars. But at the same time, if you look at angles and you look at match times, they still don't give women a whole heck of a lot of time to feature their talent. And you look at this match, and it goes all of three minutes. There aren't too many spots. You know, Leilani Kai, you know, does a couple things. But in the end, Alundra Blaze does, I believe, a suplex move, and she gets the win. And uh, that was that. It was kind of like, if you blink, you missed it.
0: It, it was a, a German suplex she won with. Very basic move. Um, I, I don't think I... I would put this kind of on par with the Doik the Clown match where this should have been a lot better. It was underutilized. And I wouldn't even be mad with the time. I just really wish they would have... back then, I guess you didn't see a lot of violence out of women. But, man, if they were in there today... I bet you those two could have put on a way better show.
1: No, oh, exactly. I agree with you 100%. It's just kind of like, okay, we're going to put on a woman's match, but we're not going to give them a whole heck of a lot of time because we got to uh, potentially fill out a couple more matches here.
0: Uh, now we move on to the WWF Tag Team Championship. Men on a mission with the Oscar versus the Quebecers, who I believe it or not, I like growing up. I you know I thought they were some great characters, and – uh, you know that that whole French Connection, uh, those guys, the mounty stuff—that I I really enjoyed those kind of characters back in the day.
1: No, me as well, and uh, that was kind of great. When uh, on a recent episode of SmackDown, you had uh, Dean Ambrose kind of come out there yes. with the Mountie with the Mountie costume on, and it brought back memories of uh, you know Jacques Rougeau and all them guys, and uh, the Quebecers were one of those great characters and a decent tag team. You know, those French Canadians uh, at the time, they were a solid team. Uh, they could get heat at any time, and they would put on some decent matches throughout their run there in the WWF.
0: And, and Johnny Polo was part of this. And for the younger kids who's like, who, who's Johnny Polo? Johnny Polo went on to take a 180 into Raven, who, by the way, I, I still am a huge Raven guy.
1: Oh, everybody. You know, when you looked at that and you go, wow. What an evolution of characters! And you look at what uh, Johnny Polo became. My goodness, that Raven character was one that went on to ECW, and uh, probably a little bit underutilized when he went over to WCW. In that uh, he could have been featured as a top star. You know, they tried to utilize him, you know, with the flock and things like that. But he never could have. He never really got to the level where he could have been, especially with his mic skills, his uh, his ability to elicit emotion. I really thought that Raven could have done a whole heck of a lot more in, in his career, but yeah, if you if you want to laugh, go check out uh, Johnny Polo managing the Quebecers <laughs> in this one.
0: Now, after tonight, and and this is this is I just want to stop for a second so you can put a little plug in. But after tonight, you know, you guys are gonna to have to start talking some wrestling on your podcast more.
1: Dennis, of course, we talked a little bit of wrestling. We got some wrestling bumpers. We mixing a little bit of wrestling and things like that, but uh, oh my goodness, if we start, Adam and I on our podcast uh, that comes out every Thursday uh, on the Detroit Sports Podcast Network, if we started talking wrestling, we probably wouldn't stop. Our podcasts go now about 90 minutes, and we can't shut ourselves off. we got to cut ourselves off. If we added wrestling, we would be in the studio for two, two and a half hours every week. <laughs>
0: That's alright. Maybe you guys do your own wrestling podcast. I would listen to that.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it's one of those things where growing up, Uh we Adam and I both loved wrestling. We'd sit up uh you know, sit up on Saturday mornings watching superstars and things like that, waiting for the next WrestleMania or one of the big characters to either jump ship or get signed. And uh but for me, I kind of faded out of wrestling a little bit in my mid to late twenties. But I came back recently in this in this new era in the last maybe year or two and with the WWE network, oh my gosh, if that if there was one thing that probably you could look to that brought a lot of wrestling fans back. It's that network. I mean, if you're not buying, you're not paying that nine ninety nine. I don't know why you're not because you have an entire archive of the history of wrestling, and so you could watch any pay per view at any time and rekindle old memories and look at old storylines, see classic matches. So the WWE Network is awesome, and I I probably wouldn't be watching as much as I do now. And uh, the the current wrestlers, oh my gosh, you, you do comparisons like I was when I was re-watching the ladder match, I was going, my goodness, if the rumors are potentially true, even an inkling true, that AJ Styles could get in the ring with Shawn Michaels, I'd cancel everything and and watch that match because even at Shawn Michaels' older age now, I'm sure those two guys would tear the the house down.
0: Take my money if that were to happen. That's all I'm going to say. I... I would absolutely watch that. It you know w- this was back in the day by the way where it was like 60 bucks for a pay-per-view. We, you know, in my household, it had to have been a special event for us to get a pay-per-view, and I had to do a lot of yard work. This isn't the days now where you spend the 9.99 a month and you get the pay-per-views for free. You had to pay upwards of 60, maybe even a little bit more for it was it was a commitment.
1: No, exactly. And so If you just buy – if you just pay one pay-per-view, one or two, it's more than worth it because you get – now, with the brand split, you get to watch two pay-per-views a month. And the archive alone, uh, the fact that the entire WCW archive is there, the ECW archive, all the old Raw and SmackDowns, plus all the new original content, you know, it's just – WWE Network is – is one thing that uh, it's a, it's a good value, and I'm, and I'm I'm interested to see how they're going to carry it out and what they're going to do with it in the, in the next coming couple of years.
0: All right, let's move on and finish up this Quebecers matchup. Which, by the way, spoiler: alert, they lost. Been on a mission due to a count out once again. I thought this was an okay match. It was a lot better than the than the women's uh, championship match, and it was way better than the Doink the Clown match, but still on the lines of what you would expect for I guess the halftime match at a Wrestlemania it was ah at best.
1: yeah and at the end men um, on a mission wins by a countout and you got Johnny Polo kind of going okay give us our belts back and you got uh, you know Maven and Mo just uh, or Mabel and Moe just kind of standing there with the belts and uh, Vince and uh, King who were on the call just kind of were like yeah yeah. You know, the men on a mission won the match, but since it was a count-out that they don't get the belts, but it was still an interesting sight to see them with the belts. So I was, I was watching, it and I was like, eh, it doesn't look right. I think the, at the time, the uh, Quebecers deserved to be the champions, and they were uh, definitely a solid heel tag team.
0: So now we move on to one of our two champion, uh, world championship matches. It's uh, the champion, yokozuma who was, at that time, one of the most powerful guys around. He had Mr. Fuji. And Jim Cornette, who I loved back in the day, who had the, you know, the the, the paddle, and it, I thought that was a a great teaming. This guy up, who had zero mic skills, with the Mister Fuji, and then a Jim Cornette, who really pushed that character over the edge. It was, uh, you know, I I I hated the way his night ended up. We'll get to that as we move on, but to me, Yokozumo uh, was probably one of the best big guys out there.
1: You know, Dennis, he was. He was an interesting character. But unfortunately, when you're that large, unfortunately, it's it's, it's hard to do a whole heck of a lot of moves other than what you saw in this match. I mean, you kind of, when I looked at this match and watched it again, you kind of had a feeling of what was going on in Yokozuna's mind in that he knew that he was going to probably potentially have to wrestle again. And so when you watch this match, you had, you know, a a couple series of long moves where Yokozuna is just standing there kind of holding on to Lex Luger's trapezius, kind of just standing there gathering his breath. And so it wasn't wasn't a lot of action. And so I kind of felt throughout the match that, that it wasn't that solid because Yokozuna was doing a lot of these holds for two and three minutes at a time. And the ending was okay, I guess, but you had a situation where they brought back Mr. Perfect, one of the all time greats in the WWF, and he was the special referee for this match. And Lex Luger was making moves, doing his thing, and he, uh, you know, Lex Luger was kind of uh, really getting upset with Mr. Perfect as the referee, and he shoves Mr. Perfect, and uh, Perfect calls for the bell, and after the match, um, Next, Luger comes barreling through the the, the curtain there. It's like, what's going on? And uh, Mr. Perfect's going with the old, uh, you know, don't you ever put your hands on a referee stick? And he turns heel in this match as the referee. But at the point in time, I just felt like, you know, the the fans had it right. When the match was over, BS, BS. And I think they left wanting a little bit more from two guys. And And Luger and Yokozuna had a series of matches that if you look at them, in totality, it wasn't really solid wrestling. It was much more better in terms of the feud that they had behind the scenes. But when it got between the ring, it wasn't that good.
0: You know, you, this was one of the many Hill turns through the career of Mr. Perfect. And he wore the most ridiculous uh, get up. It was like MC Hammer pants and like I, it's, it's stripes. It was the ugliest ref get up I've ever seen. It was uh, uh, that 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 will always stick out in my mind. And the fact that Donnie Wahlberg, not Mark Wahlberg, guys, Donnie Wahlberg of New Kids on the Block was the special guest announcer. And then the Rhonda Shearer, who, as we all remember her from USA's up all night, was the timekeeper in this match. They really I Burt Reynolds popped in and out of this pay-per-view at times. It star power. This kind of – and, you know, you go Donnie Wahlberg now and Rhonda Sheer. I remember watching USA's Up All Night like crazy just because that was – for for the poor basic cable families, that was the closest to TV porn, uh, you know, we, we would get to because it would be like uh, Winter School Instructors 4 and, you know, everything naughty cut out of them.
1: <laughs> you know what? That's it. In this matchup, you know – If you just look to the last two minutes when Lex Luger makes his comeback, it's probably the only two good minutes of the match. I only gave it a half a star. I was just left leaving this matchup going, really? It's one of those things where I could see why Lex Luger as a wrestler was bounced around from WWF to WCW back and forth. And he was just one of those guys that was just a guy that had a solid physique and was really upper-level mid-card talent but never could be that superstar guy. He always needed a sting or always needed to be in a faction or needed to be in a solid storyline to do his thing because, you know, his matches left a lot to be decided more often than probably needed to be with the talent that Lex Luger had.
0: You know, doing the Monday morning quarterback or the hindsight, you know, his 50-50 kind of thing, if I had to rebook the ending of this match... I might have had Mr. Perfect kind of hit him and knock him out and then Yokozuma pin him. I, I, I didn't like the way this match ended with a tiki tack push. I would love to have seen you know Mr. Perfect actually just, you know, he turns his back to go get Yoko, hits him in the back of the head, knocks him out, and then pins. I think I would have been way more happier with that match if it ended like that.
1: Oh, I agree 100%. And uh, it's, it's one of those things where sometimes when you look at it, Uh, one of the great things about watching wrestling is when they do these swerves or when they do the count outs or they do the run-ins or the disqualifications, we get to sit back and go, you know what? I would have did this or I could have did that. And that's one one of the things that I find to be very appealing in watching wrestling is to play a amateur writer or amateur booker as they say on the inside.
0: Adam Baum was next with Harvey Whippleman versus the earthquake, which I remember the the earthquake was involved. In one of one of my earlier memories when I realized wrestling was fake, and <laughs> I, I'll tell you this, and you might remember it. It was, and this is you know way back when we were kids. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have dirt sheets. You know, I didn't call the wrestling hotlines for you know five ninety nine. I I was, I, what I saw on TV I thought was real, and I remember on one edition of you know a main event or whatever it was called back then. The earthquake does his little earthquake bomb is what was it? The splash he did, at, on Hulk Hogan, like three times. And then, you know, they're teasing that Hulk Hogan's career is probably over and they end the episode panning out of Hulk Hogan's little, you know, locker with all this stuff neatly folded, like he's done for. And I remember as a kid, just bawling because here's this monster, the earthquake, just, just, Attacking Hulk Hogan from behind and ending his career. Later, you know, later when my dad walked down, and he saw me crying. He told me wrestling's fake and ruined it. But you know, case I guess. But here he is now facing Adam Bomb at WrestleMania 10 with Rv Whippleman. What did you think?
1: You know what? I was thankful that it went all of 30 seconds because. Thank you. In terms of the the placing of this matchup, the reasons behind it. You just go, okay, let's just move this along. Why didn't this get cut instead of one of the other matches? The ten. I would have rather have seen the 10-man tag that was scheduled for this card that got cut because of the Intercontinental title match going along. I would have loved to have seen this get cut. How does Earthquake versus Adam Bomb make this? And then um, speaking of memories, my, me- my memory of Earthquake was when, you know, he had that feud with Jake the Snake Roberts, and uh, he decided to jump around and uh, – you know, Jake the Snake at the time would uh, come to the ring with, you know, a, a, a boa constrictor. Mm-hmm. and Damien. He would, Damien, exactly. And Earthquake in the feud, I believe, squished Damien. And uh, <laughs> he had, I believe, Jake the Snake in the ropes. And he was jumping around and he did his thing and he squished Damien. Yes. So Earthquake is, you know, one of those guys that, you know, obviously had a great name, a great look, a move or two, but to feature him in a WrestleMania, 30 seconds at best was all he deserved.
0: We move on to one of the greatest WrestleMania matches ever. Not the, the greatest match of this WrestleMania, much less WrestleMania matches ever. It, it was a ladder match, which, it correct me if I'm wrong, and look, I'm not a wrestling historian. I'm just a nerd who loves it. Was this the very first ladder match, or was there another one before this?
1: You know what? That's a very good question. I believe it's one of the ones – I don't think it was the very first ladder match.
0: But it was the most famous.
1: Exactly. It took the ladder match and defined it as a match that that featured so much brutality and featured so many spots that people remember to this day. I mean, when you talk to people about um, classic intercontinental title matchups, you always include the Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels match in terms of what they were willing to do the spots that they executed in this matchup, the story that they told. And and you got to remember, too, this matchup was only 19 minutes long. They were able to tell such a story and do spots that many at the time just were not willing to do. There were so many, you know, you know false finishes. There were so many times where they, you know, both Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon would fall off the ladder. They would use the ladder to their, you know, to their liking and use it as a weapon. Um, There were times where they'd take the mat from the outside off and Razor Ramon would fly out there and get splashed on the outside. You had two guys who at the time were friends. They were friendly. You know, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, Diesel, the Click. They were all boys. And they went out there in front of New York and in front of the world, and they put on a matchup that to this day – you, many people will say how, if you ask anybody, and I'll ask you, about how many times have you watched Ladder Match, Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels?
0: A dozen plus, uh, you know. Exactly. And I'll probably go back through after we're done and watch it one more time. And even the entrance when you know Shawn Michaels walking up to that ladder, peeking in the middle, and doing the ah uh, ah uh, ah. Uh, I mean, that pops up on some of the you know classic. Uh, clips you see, and then the Sean going off the top rope for the for the splash, uh, just majestic as can be. And even there was a point where Sean just could not put away Razor Ramon, and he even did the whole razor. He almost put him in a razor's edge. I was expecting it, but it turned into a you know a, what was it a power driver. So it, this match had it all. It, this was easily a six out of five star match. I mean, the ladder and hitting him Although there was the one spot, and I don't know if you remember this, where they were outside, Razor throws Sean into the uh, ladder, and Sean's hanging there, and then you see Sean trying to jerk it so it would fall back. That was still one of those things that I just kind of giggle about, even to this day.
1: Oh my goodness. But to take the matchup to the beginning, up until this point now, you got to remember, we had just seen... The best match, probably, you're going to see in a while in terms of Bret Hart, Owen Hart, and then a bunch of matchups that qualify as B or C matchups at best. And from the very beginning, when Shawn Michaels comes out, you go, okay, the mood is about to change. Uh, The entrance, he just looked and walked to the ring like a superstar. He just had it compared to guys like Yokozuna, Lex Luger, you know, men on a mission. He just had that it factor right when he walks in the curtain, you go, Oh dude, this is somebody that you got to pay attention to. And then you have Razor Ramon who has probably one of the best entrance music is, has Uh the best entrance music of all time. Yes. And he's walking to the ring. And, uh, you know, at, at the time, you know, Razor Ramon really got the whole promo thing going on where behind, behind the scenes where he would show up in his car and talk about being a bad guy. The vignettes, as you like to call it, is, You know, a guy with that character was really propelled by the vignettes. And, you know, the storyline going into it was Shawn Michaels was the intercontinental champion, but he was kind of in a contract dispute. So they stripped him of the title and then Razor Ramon swoops in and he's the champ. But then Shawn Michaels comes back. And so we got these two guys who are fighting. That's why you see two belts hanging up there. And, you know, the purpose of the ladder match was to climb up to the top and whoever gets the two belts, takes them down, is the undisputed unified intercontinental champion. And they go back and forth with spots that a lot of people to this day will remember, high spots going up and down the ladder. And obviously, you know, there is a moment for the ladies that if you're a fan of wrestling for the Mm gentlemen, you get a chance to see Shawn Michaels bare ass as he's on the ladder and uh, Razor Ramon's reaching up, grabs his pants, pulls him down. So for a brief moment there, and maybe you were excited too, you got to see Shawn Michaels' ass.
0: Uh, probably not all that excited, but I was like, <laughs> oh, look, there's there's some tush there. All right, cool. And, you know, in describing this matchup to people, we, I I don't know if you've never seen it. You still don't know who won because this was one of those matchups where – you know, we didn't know – we we didn't really get a good feel of who was going to win this match because, it, it. I mean, each guy took some brutal bumps for ladder matches back in the day. And I don't think – even watching it again, I kind of got lost in the match going, I wonder who's going to win this, even though I knew who was going to win this.
1: Exactly. You kind of – you know, they told – that's really what helps a wrestling match is being able to tell a story, use psychology – kind of have false finishes, and having the crowd get invested. What, what makes a match really special, too, is how much crowd involvement there is. Do the fans get behind both wrestlers? Do they get behind the false finishes? Because had this match gone in front of a silent crowd, you would think, okay, it's just another match. But the crowd interaction in this matchup was outstanding. The New York crowd was really into it because the, the two guys really went out there to steal the show. And when wrestlers go out there to do it, this is how you create a match for the ages. Not just an all-time great WrestleMania match. This is how you create an all-time match in general. Just, hey, put it all on the line. Use every skill that you have. Leave everything in the ring. And if you walk away from that match not being satisfied, I don't know what to tell you. Because like you said, you've watched it a dozen times. I'm going to probably watch it after we're done here. It's just one of those all-time great matches that you can look to and say, these guys left it in the ring, and it elevated both guys. And to answer your question, the victor was, and then and the Intercontinental Champion after the match, Razor Ramon. Scott Hall.
0: Easily. A, a four out of four match. I loved it a lot. Uh, we moved on now to the 10-man tag team that got caught. And to be, it was the stupidest way you cut the 10-man. They couldn't agree on a captain. Like, like really. I mean, not... Agreeing on the captain is enough to end a ten-man tag team match. I just, I, I just kind of shook my head, like, yeah, really. You, you could have gotten rid of two of those matches and and, and had a very nice, you know, ten-man tag team match. And I don't think people would have thought less of this uh, pay per view if you were one match light.
1: No, exactly. And the story was at the time, you know, they were going to come on after the ladder match. And the match went long. They were pleading with Razor and Sean to kind of end the match so they wouldn't have to cut these guys, but they just went through it. They actually, um, on some sites that I read on, um, said that they intentionally went long to, you know, not have this match go on because they wanted to get their stuff in. They wanted to just keep blow by, you know, blow through the, the ending of the match. And they did. And unfortunately, they told it wrong yes in terms of just saying hey we can't agree on who's going to be the captain they go backstage and and they have it and the such but in the end they probably could have like you said put this match on um and cut out some of the other stuff but in the end hey imagine if that's the biggest event of the year and you get ready to go you're at the gorilla position and you're told hey it's happened a lot of times where wrestlers are getting ready to uh go out there and do their thing, showcase their talent, but matches go long and you get cut. But these guys, I would have liked to have seen it, but in the end it, it, it didn't happen.
0: Well, let's move on to the uh, final championship match of the night where I'm still confused on why Yokozuna gets gets penalized here because the Royal Rumble, as we said at the beginning, had co-winners. It was, I think, the second time in a couple of years it had happened It, it like, a handful of times after that, but this was one of those times where Bret Hart and Lex Luger, you know, go over at the same time. And, you know, now we have co co champions and you know they flipped the coin and here we are now, but Yoko didn't do anything wrong. Why, why is he, and I never understood being penalized, having to wrestle twice. I, I felt like each man should have had a match. They should have faced each other. And you know, I guess it would have been too much to feed him in the third match to such a big guy like this. But it, this match probably was not much, not much better than the Lex match. And you thought, you know, maybe Bret Hart would bring out the best in him, but it just seemed, you know, he come out banged up. Roddy Piper was a surprise, by the way, guest referee. I was just, I was just left thinking what could have been in this match.
1: Well, exactly, and that's where I think maybe if you look back on it, the storytellers, the writers will maybe come out and say that, you know, Yokozuna was tired, he was gassed, and it just didn't land for a solid matchup. But in the end, Brett comes out with the victory, and, you know, when the match is over, guys like Lex Luger, Roddy Piper, Razor Ramon, Tatanka, 123Kid, they all come out, macho man, and celebrate a guy that, uh, you know, w- when the match ends, You hear Vince McMahon saying, hey, now it's the dawn of a new era. And um, you really could get a sense that uh, the company was looking to really go forward with Bret Hart and really take him off to the next level. And so it's just one of those things where, yeah, you would have liked a better match in the main event of a WrestleMania. But what are you going to expect from a 500-pound dude who wrestled previously in the night? It just didn't uh, come off. And sometimes hey, even though you have your best intentions at heart, you put two guys in and you're thinking that, you know, they could create some chemistry and you think that they could come up with a good matchup. But for whatever reason, these two on this night fell flat. Yeah, exactly. It was probably a one-star fight. It wasn't that good. But in the end, I am a huge Bret Hart guy. And so when you played the intro music, I was pumped. And as you can tell, I'm a big fan of uh, Bret Hart, and I just thought that any time you could give him any title, he would make that title. Uh, Bret Hart was just a solid wrestler, and he made a lot of guys. And so to see him win a title at WrestleMania, it's always good to see. Um, it's nice to see, you know, the crowd reaction to a guy like Bret Hart. Um, and you know, the ending of the of the pay per view was okay, but you could have you're left wanting more.
0: All right, so. One of the highlights for me was the diving headbutt from Yoko. I thought that was pretty cool. One of the few things he did right in this matchup. But to the he, here's my issue as we wrap this up. You know, th- there was a huge disconnect from the way this thing ended to having everybody come out and celebrate. You, to me, and if you don't know or haven't seen it yet, the way this thing ends is Yoko goes up to the second rope to kind of do his. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, his version of the splash kind of thing. Uh, he falls. Tr- he just falls over. Brett rolls him up for the one, two, three. So Bret Hart essentially wins a championship off a stumble, and then everybody comes out and celebrates like he just beat this guy to a pulp. It was it's, I, just one of those things where if you're going to have everybody come out and prop Bret Hart up, you should have had Bret Hart win this thing a little more decisively than when than off a trip from the second rope and a fall over.
1: Yeah, and so you know what it was probably when you look at it? Because, you know, Bret Hart was selling so much that he was hurt. They were really trying to emphasize that, that uh, Owen Hart took a lot out of him. Uh, they were trying to emphasize uh, that Yokozuna was hurting him. So Bret Hart was selling a lot that he was hurt, and Yokozuna was tired. So it comes off in a match, and it looks it looks very slow. And so when everybody is uh, watching the match, they're looking at it going, why isn't this more exciting? It's because it's so slow. And, and you're right. They didn't do a good job of storytelling to kind of bridge that gap at the end to kind of explain and uh, let people know a little bit about some, some, some reasons why everybody just kind of showed up there at the end.
0: I wouldn't have had a problem if people didn't show up. it did. But it, to me, it just looked bad to have everybody come out there to celebrate Bret Hart, who just kind of, you know, fell into a pin. Now, you know, I think if if these guys didn't come out and Bret Hart did that, I'd have been I'd have been way more okay because, you know, Bret Hart won the championship. He was a big guy, Yoko. He couldn't get up, and yeah, I could see that. I could kind of believe that as a younger feller, but I just. I just felt a little bit of disbelief that everybody would come running out there because Brett just rolled a guy up that fell over.
1: Yeah, exactly. One of those things where you're left going, okay, you guys maybe didn't uh, you know, dot all the uh, I's and cross all the T's in terms of your storytelling, and you just wanted to do something to celebrate Brett Hart, and you needed to do a little bit more of uh, explanation and making it a little bit more believable as to why you're doing this.
0: Looking back on this pay-per-view, overall, what would you think?
1: I would look at this pay-per-view and say that it had two outstanding five-star historic matchups. It had a crowd that was into it, but it had a mid-card that you would look at and probably forget. It's something that if you're going to watch it, probably just watch the first match and the last. uh, Or watch the first match and watch the Intercontinental title match and you'll be more than satisfied with the pay-per-view in its entirety. It's an A-minus, B-plus pay-per-view, but because of the weight of the two matches that we spoke on, it elevates the pay-per-view into an all-time classic. But, uh, yeah, in terms of the mid-card, it really spoke to the, the big gap between the superstars and the mid-card talent at the time in the mid-'90s, you know, prior to The Undertaker really taking off and prior to – you know, the next wave of superstars in the, in the attitude area, 1994, you know, 1994, 95, 96, WWF, WWE got into a point where they were getting close to potentially having financial problems and going out of business. And they really needed that attitude era at the time. But this pay-per-view launched the careers and really elevated guys like Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Owen Hart. And for that reason, if you're looking for a uh, couple solid matches on a pay-per-view, all-time great matches, fire up WrestleMania 10, the 10th anniversary of WrestleMania.
0: I would put it to you this way. Uh, YouTube those matches, but don't bother watching the whole pay-per-view as a whole. I think you kind of echoed the same sentiment there that it was a okay pay-per-view. Uh, it was a lackluster being the fact that it was the 10 year anniversary uh, if you put it into terms like that. But, you know, look, there were some great moves, some great moments. But, yeah, man, should have been better.
1: It should have been better. But what also added to it was the commentary. And I really enjoyed the relationship between Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler. You had Jerry the King Lawler playing the heel commentator perfectly. And you had Vince McMahon so passionate, so for the uh, – you know, for the good guy, and he, they, I really remember and appreciate how good of an announcer Vince McMahon was, and I kind of miss it. I kind of, for nostalgia's sake, kind of want to say, hear another call of a wrestling match between uh, uh, Vince McMahon and maybe someone else on the current roster and things like that. But it was overall a decent pay per view, one that you could appreciate if you did sit and watch the whole thing. But yeah, exactly. I echo your sentiments exactly. YouTube the. Owen Hart, Rat Hart match, YouTube, the latter match, and uh, the rest of it, you can kind of look back and laugh at some uh, mid-card talent that just didn't, didn't deliver.
0: John, uh, where can people find you, check out your podcast and stuff like that if if they're interested? Uh, you, as you said, you know, you guys do a little bit of wrestling stuff, but you're not really wrestling-centric. You're, you're, you're a sports show, and a damn good one at that.
1: I appreciate that, Dennis. Dad, thanks to you. Uh, we started our podcast in uh, September of 2013, and uh, when we got Dennis on, when he took us up on our offer, he gave us a lot of insights. Was a great guest, and uh, we've been doing. Uh, uh, now we're a network of uh, daily podcasts. My podcast comes out every Thursday. Um, it's called the Doc and Jock Podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Podomatic, anywhere sports podcasts are found. All you got to do is Google Detroit sports podcast we're focused on detroit and you can follow us on twitter at detroit podcast and you can interact with us as we're tweeting away during games uh dennis and i will tweet back and forth a little bit talking wrestling talking about our projects and things like that but to find us all you got to do is search detroit sports podcast and download our podcast each and every day and subscribe on itunes
0: all right john thanks buddy
1: anytime dennis anytime thank you for the invitation. Keep up the great work. Anytime you want to talk wrestling, I'm here.